our Lord and our God, King of the universe, Lord, we thank you for your word, and we are thankful, Lord, for your truth. And uh, we're thankful, Lord, for the prophets that spoke your word boldly, even under threat. And so, Lord, as we look at your word, may it impress our hearts and minds in Yeshua's name. Amen. Our topic tonight is out of Prophet Hosea, chapter 7 and 8. I would have healed Israel, but the iniquity of Ephraim was uncovered, and the wickedness of Samaria, for they committed fraud, thieves, and robbers. They don't consider in their hearts that I remember all their wickedness. Their deeds have surrounded them. They are before my face. So again, pretty heavy uh, denunciation. Hosea, I mean, he didn't, you know, it must have been tough. Constantly throughout these chapters just speaking such harsh words. But among those harsh words, we want to try and pick out the words of hope. I would have healed. So God's saying, I am able to heal, and I am willing to heal. Positive on that too, the positive spin on that. When we're mixed among other people, they had an opportunity to witness to these people and share the Lord with them and lift them up. And so in all our interactions, yes, we need to interact with those who don't know the Lord, but we need to make sure that we are having an influence on them for good and not them having an influence on us for evil. In Ephraim's case at this time, and in northern Israel, in Israel's case at this time, it was having a negative effect on them and drawing them down and sapping their strength slowly but surely. And they don't even realize it. We have to be careful as well and be in tune to that. Are we being lifted up? Are we lifting them up? Are we being lifted up by this association, this friendship? Or are we being torn down? Are we being drawn closer to God? Is it helping us in our walk with God? Or are we falling away from God as a result? Verse 13, Woe to them, for they have fled from me. Destruction to them, because they have transgressed against me. Though I redeemed them, yet they have spoken lies against me. They did not cry out to me with their heart when they wailed upon their bed. So opportunities have been given. He's called them to return. He has said he can heal them. His face is upon them, but they haven't uh, received God's redemption. He says, I have redeemed them, but they turned their face and, uh, and resisted. And so God's redemption is there for us. God has already paid the redemption price for us. The Messiah has already come, and the Messiah has already paved the way for us to be bought back, to be redeemed. Right? To be redeemed means we were once deemed and we were taken away and that Adam and Eve sold us out. And God has redeemed us. Now you might say, well, the Messiah didn't come along until after Hosea's day. Well, yes, that's true. But the Bible says that the Messiah, as far as God is concerned, existed from the beginning of time and it was slain. Revelation says he was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. The plan was in place. God gave Adam and Eve the sacrificial system from the beginning, or from uh, after sin, to demonstrate that redemption, signifying what the Messiah would come and do. So it was already in place. So God has already redeemed us. He has already paid the price for us. He has already bought us. And if we will just accept that, if we will believe that, that he has already bought us, we can experience the redemption in our lives. We can experience being children of God because he's already bought us. He's already adopted us. He's already paid the price for us. 
And if we don't resist, if we don't, if we just yield to that, we believe that and accept that and allow God to transform us, accept that his death paid the price for us and our death with him, the death to self, we accept that redemption, we receive his spirit and we become his children and begin, he begins to work out his life in us and through us. But as it says, though I redeemed them, past tense, he has redeemed them, yet they have spoken lies against me. Denying, not believing, speaking lies. God says, I redeemed you. No, 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 you haven't yet. I haven't gained victory over this yet. I haven't done this yet. I haven't accepted you yet. I haven't surrendered yet. But he said, I already redeemed you now. I've already done it. If we will believe that and accept that, it will be powerful in our lives. Though I redeemed them, yet they, they spoke against me. They did not cry out to me with their heart when they wailed upon their bed. So they cried. They didn't cry out to God. And we cry out to God and yield ourselves to God. O wretched man, who shall save me from this body of death? Praise be to God who has given us the Messiah and has redeemed us. Chapter 8, verse 1. Set the trumpet to your mouth. He shall come like an eagle against the house of the Lord because they have transgressed my covenant and rebelled against my law. Israel will cry to me, My God, we know you. Israel has rejected the good. The enemy will pursue him. So while they were saying, My God, we know you, they didn't know him. He says, I have redeemed you, and yet they say, they spoke lies about that. He really hasn't redeemed us. He really hasn't paid the price, for, full price for us. We still have to do something. No, he has already redeemed us. He has already bought us. Say so we know him. He's given us opportunity to know him. Very similar, Yeshua said, there will be many in that day who will say, Lord, Lord, did we not do this? Did we not do that? And he'll say, I did not know you. It's the believing, it's the accepting, it's the surrendering. And then allowing God to work out his will in our lives. Allowing God to transform us and to change us into his image. Not the I will do's. They set up kings, but not by me. They made princes, but I did not acknowledge them. I believe Hosea is speaking specifically to the various kings that come during the time that he was prophesying. And Hosea prophesied for a long time. In chapter 1, he told us all the different kings he prophesied through. And uh, it was uh, several decades. And so he says they set up kings. So let's take a look at the kings that... Uh, well, I guess before we do that. Okay, so they set up kings, but not God's king. God gives us the opportunity to set up kings. And we can set up a king over us. The king of kings and the lord of lords. The king of his approving. The king that God, the, the king of the lion of Judah. The one who would come through David's line. Who would be like David. Who would be uh, King David. As many of the prophets said after David was dead. He would seek David. Not seeking again the dead David, but the the son of David, the seed of David, the king that would come through David's line, the Messiah. So we need to set him up as king 
over our lives, as Lord over our lives. It's again, that's surrendering. But they set up kings, but not by God's choosing. So again, there's a pro here and a, a negative, uh, depending on what the choice we make. Which king do we choose to set up? The one that God has appointed for us or our own kings? Our own self, or our own things, or whatever we make our king, our lord. So let's take a look at the kings here. All right, so we got Jeroboam II and, and Hosea prophesied during, during his time. And then we've got uh, Zechariah after him, and then Shalom and Manah, I'm not pronouncing these right, I don't know, Pekham and Pekka, and then Ahoshia. And you'll notice in this chart here, there's from Jeroboam, there's a line down to the next king, uh, Zechariah. But then after that, there's no line connecting them. That's a new dynasty. And there's no line connecting him to the next one. That's a new dynasty. And then there's a line. So we've got now the two-person dynasty. And then there's no line, new dynasty, another no, no line, another dynasty. So just in this short 80-year period of time, there's one, two, three, four, five dynasties in 80 years. They're just constantly changing over. And so they set up kings but not whom God appointed, not according to God's will. And so let's take a look at those in 2 Kings chapter 15. In the 38th year of Azariah, Uzziah, also known as Uzziah, so there we are down the bottom, Uzziah, right? And uh, we're going to go all the way down to Hezekiah, that matches up. And Hosea, in the first chapter, it mentions that he prophesied from Jeroboam's time to Hezekiah's time. Uh, so during the 38th year of Uzziah, then king of the Judah in the south, Zechariah, the son of Jeroboam, reigned over Israel and Samaria six months. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, who made Israel to sin. That Jeroboam is not his father Jeroboam. That Jeroboam they're referring to is this first Jeroboam who departed from Solomon, who split the kingdom. And so here we are at the end of the kingdom, and God is still referencing it all the way back to that first one who rebelled and set up those golden calves and caused Israel to sin. And so the Bible referring back to that Jeroboam who caused Israel to sin. Isn't that horrible? There was so much potential for this Jeroboam. And, um, and here his name is known in infamy uh, because of leading the children of Israel to sin. Shalom, the son of Jabez, killed Zechariah in front of the people. So he reigned six months, and then he gets killed, and he reigned in his place. And this was the word of the Lord which he spoke to Jehu, saying, Your son shall sit on the throne of Israel to the fourth generation. Let's go back a little bit. Okay, so Jehu up there at the very top. Uh, I forget, it was Elijah, or Elijah goes to him and says, You're going to be the next king of Israel. And as we just read, the prophecy was going to be there for four generations. And sure enough, four generations, and then he gets cut off. Shalom became king, and he reigned a full month in Samaria. That's kind of a full, oh, a full whole month. <laughs> Not 28 days, you know, not 29, he had a full month. <laughs> and Mahanim struck Shalom and killed him and reigned in his place. Now the rest of the acts of Shalom, I mean the whole month, how many more acts could he have? What did he do in a month? 
Are they not written in the book of Chronicles, the king of Israel? Now we have a book of Chronicles in the Bible, but it doesn't mention this guy. It doesn't mention actually any of these guys, for whatever reason. Uh, a lot of the kings we've seen so far have been in, first, uh, in Second Kings as well as in First and Second Chronicles. But these guys are not mentioned there. Somewhere maybe got edited out or deleted out or whatever. Maybe a different book of Chronicles they're referring to. Uh, but the rest of his acts, his whole month time, it says it's written there. So now we got the next king, Mahanem. He reigns 10 years in Samaria, so he gets a little bit, new dynasty there. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart all his days from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, who made Israel sin. So there's a new dynasty. He's not related at all to this Jeroboam. We've been many dynasties since the beginning, and yet they all still fell into that same sin. Mahanem attacked Tishab because they did not surrender all the women who were with child he ripped open. Horrible, horrible. I think it was in Amos we saw that uh, some of this kind of stuff was prophesied against. And the king of Assyria came against Mahanem and he gave Pul, the king of Assyria, a thousand talents of silver that his hand might be with him to strengthen the kingdom under his control. And we read about that last week in Hosea. And Hosea prophesied, why are you going to Assyria to help you and it's not going to be able to help you. And so Mahanem exacted the money from Israel, 50 shekels of silver for all, from all the wealthy. And the king of Assyria turned back. And so he paid him off for a short time, but that didn't last forever. Mahanem rested with his fathers in the 50th year of Uzziah, king of Judah. And Pechem, the son of Mahanem, became king over Israel, and he reigned only two years. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel sin. Pekah, an officer of Pekah, conspired against him and killed him in Samaria. So they're just killing each other, just, just constantly conspiring and assassinating this king one after another in the citadel of the king's house and reigned in his place. Pekah reigned 20 years and he also did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, who made Israel sin. And the king of Syria came and took Galilee and a whole bunch of other cities up there and areas up there and all the land of Nephili and he carried them captive to Assyria. So they bought out Assyria for a short period of time, didn't last forever, made a deal with the enemies of God and, uh, and just the appropriate, whenever they felt like it came back and took them captive. And that is, and then Hoshea led a conspiracy against Pekah, king of Israel, and he struck and killed him, and so he reigned in his place. And in the seventh year of Hosea, king of Israel, Shalomazer, king of Assyria, came against Samaria and besieged it. And at the end of three years, he took it. And in the sixth year of Hezekiah, king of Judah, in the south, Samaria was taken. And that's the end of the northern tribes of Israel as tribes as a nation. There were individuals we saw all through the time when Judah was having revivals, almost most of that time. There were people from the north and mentioned that left and came to the south to worship God, surrendering their land, surrendering their homes, surrendering their inheritance, and came to the south and served God. So we still have the remnants of those tribes or portions of those tribes came down to Judah and survived, but the 10 other, the majority, the majority of the people and the tribes as a whole were taken 
captive by Assyria, and then have become known as the Ten Lost Tribes of Israel, because they just get dispersed out, they just get sent out, sold as slaves, and, and uh, killed, and, and just dispersed, and don't know, you know, they never stayed together, and never a people group ever again. And that's the end of that, in, uh, in that verse. The king of Assyria carried Israel away captive to Assyria because they did not obey the voice of the Lord their God, but transgressed his covenant and all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded, and they would neither hear nor do them. That's sad testimony. God gave them like 300 years, warning after warning, prophet after prophet, Amos, Hosea, Isaiah, Elijah, I guess not Isaiah, Elijah and Elijah, many of the other prophets, uh, seen over and over again. Prophets even, prophets without name, that we don't know their names. God's great love. They set up kings, but not by God. Back to Hosea, Hosea chapter eight, verse four. From their silver and gold, they made idols for themselves that they may be cut off. Their calf is rejected. My anger is aroused against them. A workman made it, and it is not God. The calf shall be broken to pieces. And this very well could be a reference to that calf that we just saw of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, who made Israel sin. He made two calves. One he put in Bethel, and one he put up in Dan, so that people would not go down to Jerusalem to worship in the temple that God had set up. And so he, he set those up so they could go there and stay up in the north. And, uh, and he said, these are your gods, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. So ridiculous, you know? And we tried that thing already in, in the wilderness. And God, you know, didn't accept it. Moses destroyed it. And so for the people, for generations, 300 years to, to fall for that, sad, very sad. Um, and it got, even got worse under, uh, under some kings, you know, under Jezebel. And, the queen, but the calf is rejected. I'm going to show you some pictures of where that calf was. So, okay, I guess for that, uh, it says from their silver and gold. So God had given them silver and gold. God had given them prosperity, but they used it for evil. And God has given, he's placed into our hands as well. Funds to either be used for him. We can use them for him or we can use it for evil. We can use it for God's call, cause and to uh, for the need that God reveals to us to use for ourselves after we place God first, or we can use it merely for selfish reasons. And even the amount that, that uh, we keep beyond what God has deemed as his should be placed at his feet every morning. God, how would you want me to use the funds that you placed in my hand? Before we go shopping, it would be good to pray. God, what would you have me buy and not to buy? Because they're still his. Everything's God's. And we live that way and do a lot better. So God has placed silver and gold in their hands and they used it for evil, for themselves. So here's Dan, outside of Dan. Uh, you can see me standing way over there. You can see the height of the wall as it is today. It was much higher in its day. This is, you know, over 2,000 years, 2,000, I don't know, maybe 500 years later. Uh, and the walls are still well-preserved 
very strong, very thick, very high. Uh, here's a lady, can you see the height? Peggy. Uh, here's another guy, he's gonna scale it, right? You know what I'm saying? Uh, this is the entrance to Dan, this section here, that's the entrance going in right there between those two uh, pillar areas. Uh, the entrance to the gate of Dan from the time of Israeli kingdom, and you can see in the illustration how much bigger those gates were at one time and how much bigger those walls at one time. And as you enter into the gate, I'm sitting at the, uh, at the gate. And we read that in the Bible, we read that in the book of Ruth, uh, that uh, Boaz went to the gate and he sat at the gate and he made the uh, deal to purchase Ruth and be the kinsman redeemer. And so this is the very place where the king would sit or the judges would sit and would rule with the people. Right there at the entrance gate of Dan, for, for Dan anyway. Other cities had similar things. Uh, let's see there. Uh, and then here the plaque that says, and the king made two calves of gold and he set one in Bethel and the other he put in Dan. And so just uh, indicating, you know, that that's what was there. And that's not the golden calf, that's my wife. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> right behind her, you see the metal poles there. Um, that is where an altar was. That size, huge altar for sacrificing. And then above that, you know, beyond that, you see some steps, and then beyond that, a plateau. And that's where the golden calf was in Dan. Another view of it. Okay, there again, the, the steps and the, and the altar, and some people standing up there uh, where the golden calf was. Now going up the steps, again, the, now the altar on the left, and going up the steps, and those people up there, uh, up where the golden calf is there again there up on the plateau, and that's where, that's where it was, where, uh, just as the Bible describes it, where they worship the golden calf, and God says he's going to destroy it. Again, the, to, just to the left of that picture is where the altar would be, the steps, and the plateau. This is within the walls of Dan, very northern portion of Israel. And then a very applicable text, we've quoted many times before, Hosea 8, 7. They sow the wind and reap the whirlwind. You reap what you sow. You know, what goes around comes around. What you put out is what you will receive. If you put out love and forgiveness, you will receive love and forgiveness back. If you put out anger and bitterness and resentment, then that's what you'll receive back as well. And so they're sowing the wind they're going to reap the whirlwind. A tornado is going to come. So wildness and, and turning away from God, and it's just going to come back with even greater strength and disaster. And we're seeing that in society. We've been sowing to the wind. We've been sowing to sin. We've been sowing to licentiousness. We've been sowing to selfishness. And it's coming back to bite us. And we're seeing this every generation. It's, it's getting worse and worse. I mean, as we've departed from God, as, as uh, people of this nation, you know, a lot of people came to this country, the pilgrims and stuff, so they could worship God truly and freely. And I had this constitution, declaration of independence, which established freedom of religion because it was important. And gradually over the years, we've been departing from that freedom. 
sowing the wind and that we're reaping the whirlwind of it. It's going to get worse. But that also has a positive too. Again, what we sow, we will reap. And so if we sow our lives to the Lord, if we surrender our lives to the Lord, we will reap the blessings of that also in greater measure. If we receive of his Holy Spirit, he will pour out his latter rain power of his spirit as well. So there'll be an increase in there too. Right? The, uh, cast your bread upon many waters, the Bible says, and it will come back to you. The whole principle of tithing, you give this you know, little portion to God, and then he promises to open up the windows of heaven and pour out such blessings and, that we cannot receive it. And so we sow, and then we reap bountifully beyond. So the principle works both ways. And so again, we can sow to the wind. We can sow good things and reap good things as well. Israel is swallowed up. They are among the Gentiles. They have gone to Assyria. Ephraim has hired lovers. Though they hired among the nations, I will gather them. They shall sorrow a little because of the burden of the king of princes. King of princes. Who is the king of princes? who is burdened for us. Yeah, I believe that's a reference to the Messiah, who has us on his heart, who sees us, who knows us, who's concerned for us, who has blessed us and given us time and silver and gold, who has already redeemed us, and who is burdened and caring for us. Ephraim's many altars for sin have become altars for sinning. I have written for them the great things of my law, but they were considered a strange thing. So God gave the principle of sacrifices to receive forgiveness of sins, so he gave it for sin because of sin. Because we have, again, when Adam and Eve sinned, he gave them the sacrificial system so they can receive forgiveness. So he gave it to them because of sin, for sin, so that we could be redeemed from sin, that we could be cleansed from sin, and but we've made it altars for sinning. Oh, I'll just ask forgiveness, I'll just bring my lamb, and I'll be forgiven, and then I'll just continue to do it. And I'll just go and be forgiven again. But it, I don't have to change, I'll just continue to do it, and I'll just keep bringing the sacrifice. It's like paying for sin. It's like paying to sin, and thinking you're forgiven. God will not be mocked. If we treat the Messiah's death that way, if we retreat the redemption price that he has already paid for us, oh, well, he already redeemed me. Oh, he already paid the price for me. Oh, so I can continue to live in sin. I, continue, I can continue to do whatever I want because he's already pre-forgiven me. And he has already pre-forgiven us. But that doesn't mean we will receive the benefits of that forgiveness if we continue in rebellion against it, in being redeemed and being brought back. That was the whole illustration that God gave to Hosea of having him marry the prostitute, Gomer. That he redeemed her, he bought her, he took her, and then she chose to leave and go play the harlotry again, even though he had already made her, made her his wife. So God has already redeemed us, but we still have free choice. 
And if we reject that grace or misuse that grace, misuse that love, we won't benefit from the forgiveness that he has given to us. We won't be able to receive the forgiveness that he has already given to us. Again, he won't be mocked. He won't be fooled. He won't be toyed with. We can't trample his grace underfoot and still benefit from it. Rather, we need to receive of his grace, receive of his forgiveness, receive of his redemption, and allow it, and allow him to change us, to recreate us, to remold us, and receive of the benefits of his grace in our lives. That his law would not be a strange thing, but that his great things of his law would be considered great in us and his law would be lived out in our lives, that he would live them out in our lives, both to will, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. For there are great things in God's law. God's law is not bad. God's law is not burdensome. God's law is not to be against us. There are great things in God's law. It reveals to us where we've fallen short. It should send us to the Messiah for forgiveness. And then through the power of the Messiah, we can live in those great things of his law and benefit from the great promises that come along with his law. His law is not bad. It shouldn't be done away with. It shouldn't be rejected should be embraced. We should thank God for it and allow him to live it out in our life. Chapter 8, verse 14, for Israel has forgotten his maker and has built temples. Judah has also multiplied fortified city, but I will send fire upon his cities and it shall devour his palaces. And it's the same thing today. We have forgotten our maker. We have forgotten that we are a created being. As a nation, as a people, and as a world, we have accepted the lie of evolution and deny our maker, deny our creator. We build temples, we build churches, we build synagogues, we build lots of places of worship, but in denier, denial of God as our maker. And thus, when we multiplied our cities and fortified them, we won't be able to escape the judgment that will come upon this world because of our rejection of the great things of God's law, because of rejecting of his way, his truth, and his life, because we've rejected his redemption that he has already paid for us. Fire will come upon this world and devour this world and destroy it. And out of that, God will make a new heavens and a new earth. We can choose what side we want to be on. Judah continued to live on after Israel and the north were taken away captive. Messiah was able to come through that line. Thousands, thousands, and thousands of Jewish people accepted the Lord and were immersed. The gospel was taken and then shared even further with the Gentiles. It had been shared with them before, but even further into all the world and has continued on since then. So we have the choice. We can look at this list and accept it as good things 
And we can look at this list and reject it. Because all these things we just read were given to Israel. God said, I wanted to heal them of their sin. God wants to continue to heal us too. But Israel said, no, I don't want it. Everything is before God's face. We can take that as good. Thank you, God, for seeing me. You know my despair. You know my sin. Take it from me. Thank you for redeeming me. And remove it from me. Look upon me in my time of need. Or we can, God sees my, you know, sin and try and hide from him. We've been mixed among the people. We're living in a country, you know, which is more and more today mixed than ever before. I mentioned last week, I saw the coexist bumper stickers. Uh, you know, I saw three to one. Uh, I've seen two of them. I said, oh, I haven't seen any biblical ones. So I, I saw one biblical one. I saw one more coexist one. So I saw three coexists and one biblical-based one. So I've been looking all week. Have you been doing that? Start looking this week. Start counting how many of these coexist or other type of things you see. And how many biblical ones do you see? See which comes out more by the end of the week. And also then look on the back of your bumper and see what you're advertising. Are you just advertising some dealership? You know, what are you advertising on the back of your bumper sticker? Or in the back of your... Brenda's got on her, her license plate says, uh, Obey God. Obey God. <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, Robert's got, he's got Shalom Adventure and, and, and Jewish Heritage. Jim has Jewish Heritage on the JewishHeritage.net. Um, and shalomadventure.com. What do we have on our bumpers? We've got some things in the back that if you want to advertise and place on your bumper, you got room. Uh, we can make that available to you. So we've been mixed among these people. We're mixed in this country now. We have a wonderful opportunity to share God's truth and share God's love. Are we utilizing that for good? Or are we letting them tear us down? Are we being lifted up? Are we growing in God's grace? Or are we sliding away? Individually and corporately as a congregation, a family of God, I mean, folks, we need to pray about that and think about that and let God reveal to us where we stand. God has redeemed us. Are we accepting that redemption that he's already paid for? Are we reaping the benefits of that redemption? Are we free? When we're redeemed, we're free. You bring something to a pawn shop, you leave it there, you need some money, so they gave you some money, but then you get your money, you, know, you get a job, and you get some things back, and you can go and redeem that item. You can buy that item back. When you go and redeem that item and buy it back, do you take it home with you? Maybe no one has done that. You know? But yeah, you're supposed to take it home with you. When you go and redeem it, it doesn't stay there at the pawn shop. It's now yours. It's back yours again. God has redeemed us. We are his. Have we gone with him? Are we walking with him? We have the opportunity to set up kings. We can set up kings of our own devisings, our own gods, or we can set up the king of kings, the Messiah, and accept him as our king. He's blessed us with silver and gold. How are we using it? What are we sowing? We're sowing to the wind every day. We're sowing something. We're doing something. We're influencing people. We're giving off vibes. What are we sowing in our life? Are we sowing love? Are we sowing God's grace? Have we been receiving it so that we can give it? What are we sowing? 
where we're sowing wickedness and receive it back. There are great things in God's law. Do we say like King David, oh, how I love your law. It is written in my heart. And do we accept God as the creator and recreator? The fact that he was able to create this earth in seven days out of nothing demonstrates that he can create in our us a whole new life out of worse than nothing out of a heart that's born against him he can recreate in us a new life a new mind he can recreate in us and as he said each day of creation it is good it is good it is good he can create in us goodness kindness gentleness love long-suffering patience mercy self-control he can create in us good things and then after created man, last day, he said, it is very good. He is the creator. He is able to create in us his very good, his goodness in us. So as we look at that list tonight, we pray together and ask the Lord to work his will in us, for us, applies whatever area there applies to you. You need healing, spiritual, emotional, physical healing from sin. You need to know God's face is upon you. God's calling you to witness to those that he's mixed us among. You need to accept his redemption in your behalf. You need to make him Lord of your life and King of your life. You need to surrender the silver and gold and allow him to use it. And trust him with it. What are we sowing? Whatever you need to surrender to God. Whatever you need to receive from Him. His law in it, your heart and mind. If you have any doubts about His creative ability, both spiritually today or His ability to create the earth, there are plenty of good things I'd be happy to share with you that prove that God is the creator of this earth. He created just as the Bible says. So as we pray together, any area that applies to you, ask God to lead you and guide you and take you in His path. Our Lord and our God, King of the universe, we are thankful for your great love for us. We're thankful that you have already redeemed us. Thank you that you sent us your son. Thank you that you are the King of kings. And thank you that you've blessed us with time and with finances and with means and talents and gifts. We're thankful that your eyes are upon us, that you've never left us nor forsaken us. We're thankful that you are the great physician and are able to heal the sin-sick soul. Lord, work in our lives. Use us in sowing your good seed to those around us as we are mixed among the people. May your light shine out of us. Make us a blessing. Write your laws in our hearts and minds and recreate in us a new heart, new life, and live your life out of us. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.